And uh, it is the most exciting place to be, isn't that right, fellas? Welcome here. She's been promising for so long to come, and it's really, really good to see you. For those joining with us on our podcast service, thank you for joining our family. And that's what you are. You're our family. God is in the house, and may you reach out and touch him today. I believe God, through his spirit, is able to reach in. So you reach into, God wants to reach into you, and then you reach out and touch God. So it's a, it's a, a work combination. But I'd just uh, like to uh, start off uh, this morning, if you'd like, to go to 1 Kings chapter 18. And um, the title of my message this morning is, There is the Sound of the Abundance of Rain. Amen? Who likes to drive in the rain? Oh, there's somebody there. For those who don't want to drive in the rain, you might have to leave now because perhaps by the end of the service it'll be pouring. And, uh, but I pray it will be. But uh, in, uh, in when we come to 1 Kings in chapter 17, 18 and so forth, we're coming to the throne to Israel's northern kingdom around about 2,900 years ago. And coming to the throne was one of Israel's most wicked kings, Ahab, and even his more wicked queen, Jezebel. And so from the outset, I'd like to say everybody knows Jezebel, but without an Ahab, there can be no Jezebel. So it's a calling for generally men in society to rise up and to take their place, and uh, because that is one of the consequences of, of that. So... But apostasy of the most depraved kind had swept the land. And Queen Jezebel was the daughter of a Sidonian or Phoenician king. And she came from the area which we now call Lebanon. And uh, she was the daughter of the priest of Baal. And Ahab was a compromising carnal king. Compromising in every way. Baal was the Phoenician god of fertility who sent the rains, or supposed to have sent the rains, and the resulting crops that were to come from it. And immorality and depravity flourished from the king's very own palace, and so forth flowed throughout the whole of the land. And from the top down, the people of the land had become totally corrupted and had lost their way. It was not really too dissimilar from describing our own society of today, the people's most depraved and wicked inclinations were totally satisfied serving the God of Baal. Who knows a lot of people have great pleasure in serving gods when they can do their most wicked inclinations are permissive in that religion. Who wouldn't want to serve that God, they say, if you want to live a depraved lifestyle? But engulfed by wrongdoing, unrighteousness flourished and it went unchecked, so too does it today. Could this people and this land survive the consequences of their own sin? And could God reach a people who had departed from him and they were hell-bent on pursuing lifestyles spiralling into the abyss? Really, this describes the nation in which we live of Australia today. Was there hope for the people of Israel and is there hope for Australia today, you may ask? In ancient Israel, the people of God, there was a remnant of some 7,000 people who went into hiding, as Scripture confirms. 
Proverbs 28.12, it says, When the righteous rejoice, there is great joy. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. And so it was at that time that Elijah thought he was the prophet of the Lord. He thought he was the only person who served the Lord in the land. But because people went into hiding, he didn't know there were others who even believed. Proverbs 28, 28, almost identical. When the wicked arise, men hide themselves. But when they, but when they perish, the righteous increase. It's a great promise, he says, in the Lord. He says, for the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that is a time still to come across the land and the nations of the earth. The glory of the Lord will cover the sea. We get discouraged when unrighteousness flourishes, as the prophet Habakkuk did so long ago. And he was thinking, unrighteous flourishes. How can, how can the righteous even survive? But the church in Australia basically also has gone into hiding, and our voice fails. Or it's a very timid sort of voice. And I think, where are the Elijahs of the day? The boldness, I pray, will come forth from people in this very room to bring a nation back to God. Because basically we are a backslidden nation here in Australia. And we have to be honest with ourselves and call it for what it is. To, to confront the totally engulfing idolatry and depraved practices that now saturated every part of life Enter center stage the prophet Elijah. God raises up a person at an appointed time, a man with a hard head, but a very, very soft heart towards God. And so to bring the nation back to God was what his calling was. An easy task? Oh, we know it's not. Who knows it's not an easy task to bring a nation back to God? But God had a plan for Israel, and God has a plan for Australia. And it is to bring this nation back to God. Amen. A people who don't know their left hand from their right hand to bring this nation back to God. When it seems so parched and so dry, I declare today that there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Amen. And that declaration goes before the rain even starts. The words of our mouth, the fruit of our lips we will see. Amen to declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. So with that, I'd like for you to turn into your Bibles to 1 Kings and chapter 17. And here we have center stage, the man called Elijah. And Elijah the Tishbite, the Tishbite and the inhabitants, he was called the Tishbite because he come from a town called Tishbe. And he said to Ahab, that is King Ahab, and so God always raises up a person to confront the highest leadership in the land. And as John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, he confronted the uh, Caesars of the day as well. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, in other words, I stand approved of God, and I do not care what you think of me. Amen? And that's the sort of boldness that you and I will need to have in these coming days ahead. And I want to say that the more boldness that you have, the easier it will be for you to live as, as a Christian. Amen? Timidity in your Christian life is not from God. Timid boldness is from God. Timidity is not from God. Amen? Boldness is from God. 
He said, there shall be no dew nor rain these three years except at my word. So what he said to King Ahab was, it's not going to rain till I say so. <laughs> he had some brass, didn't he? It's not going to rain till I say so. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherit in the Hebrew. Can you say that? Cherit. Oh, that's, that, was pretty, that was pretty ordinary. Come on, let's get, let's, let's get some chutzpah into that. And we'll say, Cherit. Oh, come on, give it another go. Cherit. Come on, Victor, you can do it. Oh, you can make a breakthrough here this morning. That brook is called Cherit, means the place of cutting. And the Lord was cutting Elijah's life from the things of this world. He went from prominence in the very, very king's palace and brought correction to King Ahab. He said, it's not going to rain till I say so. And then he got out of there and began to hide himself because his, his head was wanted by the king himself because basically he was pronouncing what would eventually be a three and a half year drought. Who knows if it doesn't rain out here for three and a half months, it gets pretty parched and dusty. Can you imagine what the northern part of Israel like is like after three and a half years of the absence of rain? It's very, very barren. But the Elijah, the prophet, was an uncompromising man of God. In contrast to King Ahab, I describe him as compromising, carnal, emasculated, and a puppet king. Oh, who would like to be a king like that? I'll go through that again. He was a compromising, carnal, emasculated, puppet king. And that's what an Ahab king is like. We have some, some forms of that sort of leadership in Australia today. People representing us, but they are in control by other people. But James 5, 16, 17, and Elijah is mentioned in the New Testament many times, but let's go to James. James is the Lord's brother in the natural, half-brother, and, it's, and you'll know this, James 5.16 says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, if you're a righteous, you've got a righteous standing before God, your, your prayers are weighty. They carry weight. They carry the kavod, the weighty, the glory of God upon them. Verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months, 1,260 days. Many times throughout Scripture, you'll see three and a half years mentioned, even in the book of Revelations, when we have a seven-year end-time period. Half of that is three and a half years, 1,260 days or 42 months. And so we see that... Uh, to bring this nation back to God, God raised a hard-headed man called Elijah to confront its most wickedest of kings. And so, and, uh, but James describes Elijah as a man with a nature like ours. What's that tell me? It means that you are the Elijahs of the day. That's true, isn't it? Turn to the person next to you and you say, you are the Elijah of today. We're here to confront, we're confront a world that is absolutely spiraling. It's not just spiraling, it's in free fall. And God is raising up a generation in the church to confront these things with tremendous boldness. Tremendous boldness. 
And so that person next to you is going to be filled with the Spirit of God. As the Spirit of God comes upon you, the anointing, which is the dunamis power of God, will come upon your life to confront the atrocious things that are occurring on a minute-by-minute basis. And so from the outset, Elijah's name was confronting. When he stood before Ahab, they said, Elijah is here. And so Ahab was the man who married a a wicked queen, Jezebel, and she was the daughter of a Phoenician priest of Baal who would not serve God, who killed all the Lord's prophets. And um, Elijah means the Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. That's what his name means. So his very name, his introduction into the palace before King Ahab and was the Lord is my God or Yahweh. Jehovah, we say, or Yahweh is my God. And so the tough task of any prophet or any preacher, for for that matter, is the same. A prophet is a man with a word not his own. I do not preach a word that is my own. I preach the gospel, and I preach it out of this glorious book here. It's not my theology, it's not my this, or it's not my that. It is the word of the Lord. And Elijah's calling was to preach a word not his own. And so a prophet is that man from the place of prayer. And that's where you hear from God. You get a download from heaven, which brings about a heavenly intervention that the heart of God can be revealed to the people. And really, that is the calling of the prophet to impart the heart of God to the heart of man. And it is always a nice message. The heart of God says, oh, you're wonderful people. You're glorious people. Keep on doing what you're doing. Doesn't matter to me. But no prophet has ever said that, has he? A prophet is to point the way, to bring correction, to rebuke, as the word of God is. Second Timothy talks about that. The word of the Lord does all those things. A prophet is held to account by God. I am held to account by God in the word that I bring. If, it's not preached, if I don't preach the truth in love, God will hold me to account. It's all, all well and good to bring out all this and this and this, but without the love of God, that, that is not God. God is love, and the substance of his love must be also on the message. And so, but as a watchman, the watchman blows the shofar when the enemy approaches. That's true, isn't it? What's the role of the prophet? What's the role of the priest? What's the role of the preacher? What's your role is to blow the shofar when the enemy approaches. To see a fire in your neighbor's backyard and you not alert him, you would be held to account. Would that be true? I want to say there's a fire in your next door neighbor's yard. If they're not in the house of God today, there's a fire on their house. There's a fire on their lives. Eternal destinies are at stake. Will you remain silent or will we speak up? It takes boldness to do so. But we cannot remain silent And although it could cost the prophet his life, he knows there is a cost. He cannot remain silent. He says, it's not going to rain until I say so. He He wasn't winning a popularity contest with King Ahab, nor in time with his wicked wife Jezebel. Before whom I stand, he said, meaning that standing approved of God was everything to this desert firebrand, the prophet Elijah. Winning other people's popularity or gaining the approval of men and being rejected by the approval of God and you will have nothing in eternity for you. Nothing. 
the fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs says. The fear of man brings a snare. It will do nothing for our lives if we uh, are encompassed or overtaken with the fear of man. But when you have a reverential fear of God, you will see that you will have everything within you to do what you've called to do. And so he was called from the place of prominence now to go down to the Jordan River. Whenever you speak about going down and to the Jordan River, we know that the Jordan River down near the bottom, near the Dead Sea, is the lowest place on earth. One of the lowest rivers on the earth, the lowest place, one of the lowest cities on earth is actually Jericho. And so from the place of prominence in the king's palace, he says, no, go down to the Jordan, and there's a little inlet called Cherit, that's the place of the cutting, a little ravine there, and he said, the Lord said, I will feed you there. So in the midst of this, uh, in the midst of this famine, in the midst of this drought, God had a place for his children, and he said, I will feed you there. And God's got a, I will feed you there as well. Wherever God has placed you, as long as you're obedient to the call of God, you will find provision for your life in that I will feed you their place. God has a I will feed you their place. And it is really a hiding place, and it's a place where God cut him away from the rest of the world in the vast wilderness of that desert, and the ravens came, which were actually an unclean bird in, in the Levitical law, and brought him meat and, and so forth. And so in Psalm 32, verse 7, it says, You are my hiding place. You see, the Lord is your hiding place. In that, I will feed you their place. God has a hiding place for you. And it is a safe place. And it says, You shall preserve me with the songs of deliverance. Elijah's life was deeply threatened by King Ahab. But God had a place for him to hide. And uh, Colossians 3.3, 3, Paul says, for you, for you died. That's you and I have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so Elijah, so to speak, in this Old Testament prophet, was hidden with Christ in God in this very, very separated place. The place of separation, cut off from all else, is a place of humility, and prominence is but a memory, and all the motives are searched out. When God separates your life, sometimes you feel it's a barren place. I was decades sometimes in these barren places, but I knew that God had his hand on my life and in the parched realities of what life dishes up, I knew I was still in the word of God. I was in the will of God. Moses was in the desert for 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness, and then God brought him into that place. Jacob the deceiver served his father-in-law for 14 years and his wages were ch changed over 10 years, uh, 10 times. But he came out and wrestled with an angel of the Lord. Jacob the deceiver, after wrestling with the Lord for all those years, he came out being refined and renamed Prince with God, which is what Israel means. Jacob's name was named, renamed Prince with God. After your wilderness experience, there is a refining place or uh, things take place in your life which brings you forth. As we know, gold is refined seven times to take the impurities or the dross from it. David with the sheep in one day and night, in the day and the night, and he was named not as a man of the sheep, not as a shepherd, but he was known as a man after God's own heart. Amen? 
That's what David was. Joseph in Potiphar's prison and the slave for 17 years went from, from the pit to, to prominence, prime minister of Egypt, of the greatest uh, empire at that time to, in Egypt. But 17 years passed in that dry, dry place. Have you known, have you been up a few dry gullies? Can I see that hand? Come on, let's be honest. You've been up a few dry gullies? We all have been up a few dry gullies. It's called the dry gullies of life. It's what it means to be human. But how do you respond to the dry gullies? Oh, we've all been there. And our heart goes out to people after you've been through a few dry gullies. You certainly have a lot more compassion because that is the, that's the thing that God is working in our lives as well. Paul was in the desert of Arabia after he was, his Damascus Road experience. And then he began to preach Christ, the person who had tried to kill every follower of the way. The Lord, he met the risen Christ, his life was changed. And immediately then he was in the desert for three and a half years. He went up to the mountain of God, which is actually in Arabia, Mount Horeb. For three and a half years, you could see that his life was cut away, separated from the things of the earth, that God could do a work in him. God wants to do a work in us, and it's never wasted. Never wa Your dry gully experiences are never wasted. I've heard Chuck Swindoll say many times, I read it in a book almost 30 years ago, he said the steel of greatness was not, forged in the was not made in the limelight, but it was forged in the pit. Can you identify with that? Is there a steel of greatness that God is building in your life? Is there? No, it's not wasted, not a bit of it. 1 Kings chapter 17 and 14 and 16. And Elijah now is brought to a place and to Zarephath. Zarephath is actually the hometown of Queen Jezebel. And so here is really in the gates of hell itself. And Elijah was called to there and the Lord says, I have sent you to a widow and I will feed you there. Isn't that incredible? There was another, I will feed you there moment for Elijah. Beautiful, isn't it? It's a good story. God, uh, Elijah heard the word of the Lord to go to the brook Kareth. And then the, Lord, the brook dried up and then the Lord spoke to him again. He says, I will send you to Zarephath and a, and a, and a widow will feed you there. And, uh, and then he said to her, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so that was for probably for another uh, six months or more. I don't know how long exactly he was at the brook Kherit, but then the Lord sent him to Zarephath, and it was so many, many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the oil of uh, run out according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to Elijah. Who's getting something out of this this morning? Oh, God, I just feel that the Lord is going to turn your dry gullies and I think there is the sound of the abundance of rain coming in in this Charters Towers region, the abundance of rain coming to your life. There's a few people here who have been through a few dry gullies, but I speak the abundance of rain is here, amen? And Elijah spoke it before it even rained. While there was not a cloud in the sky, he said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. In 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings 18 and verse 1, progressing a little bit here, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. 
So you see, people say, I have heard the word of the Lord, and they're still in a dry creek, and they're still in a dry creek, and another word of the Lord has come, but they're still holding on to the first. If the Lord speaks, be prepared to hear again. People hold on to something, hold on to something, they're sort of like a dead horse. But the Lord has already changed direction, and we're still up on a dry sandbank, Amen. You can stay where the Lord originally called you, but sometimes the Lord, there is a, always a second, a third. We progress in life and we progress with God. And so the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So there is the promise. God gave him a command. He said, present yourself to Ahab and then the Lord gives the promise. You see, there's the promise there. And I will send rain. I heard in the communion message that the Lord does not lie. It's not in him. It's not his substance. He cannot lie. God cannot lie. So we hold on, you hold, on, hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And uh, I'd like to go on here now, uh, just briefly. And, and uh, Elijah then meets a bloke called Obadiah and he said, go tell your master Elijah is here. And so he spoke with a spiritual authority and it was in the fullness of time that Elijah presented himself to Obadiah, who was the two eyes see of, uh, of, uh, of, of the king. And I'm, uh, I ask myself sometimes, what is Obadiah doing here? Because it says that Obadiah feared the Lord, yet he was a two eyes see of the most wicked king in Israel for many, 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 many decades. One of the most wicked kings of all time in Israel. So what was a guy uh, like Obadiah doing in the house of Ahab? And I think to myself, a double-minded man receives nothing, and Obadiah was hedging his bets. And really he represented the people who were hedging their bets. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve, but Obadiah was backing each way. Who's an ex-punter here? Who is a punter here? (laughs) I hope there's no punters here. But I knew some of the lingo, but I've never punted much in my whole life. But Obadiah, you could say he was hedging his bets. And James 1, 6 to 8, I'd like to quickly go to there. And uh, don't go there, but it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Joshua was dealing 500 years earlier with a generation who were unstable in all these ways, and he put it out there and he says, choose this day whom you will serve. I say to you today, choose. I say to this region of Charter's Towers, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day. If I serve Baal... Obadiah was one of those guys who lacked any form of conviction in his life. He was one of those guys, his internal dialogue was, at first I was indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. (laughs) Ever thought about that? At first I was indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. Will I serve God or will I serve Baals? If I serve Baal, I can just about do anything that I want. 
I can satisfy my most depraved yearnings and desires. But if I serve God, I'll have to confront sin. That's a bit harder to do. But that's what, that's what serving God is all about. Serving God, it does confront sin. And the gospel is an affront to every culture on the earth. I mean, every culture. Because we all want to do our own thing. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges ends on a sad note. And Elijah confronted not only Obadiah and all the people, but he, can, he, he challenged all the people and the king himself. And so here we are. There is a massive showdown in the book of, in the book of 1 Kings. And it's almost like God says, this town ain't big enough for two of us. One of here is going out of here by sundown. Amen? This town ain't big enough for two of us. It's almost like I see Jesus walking into town, beautiful western gun belt, gunslinger. This town ain't big enough for two of us. He didn't say, I'm out of here. <laughs> he confronted those things, amen? Sometimes it's a spiritual war out there, and it's confronting. Sometimes we war within ourselves. We pray for peace on earth when there is no even peace in our heart. Who are we kidding? We pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we're in ourselves in turmoil because the Prince of Peace is not having Lord. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the Prince of Peace take, is dominant in your life. If there's constant turmoil in your life, you have to ask, am I walking in obedience to Jesus? It's a simple question. Luke eleven twenty eight always says it simply. says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The blessing, that's part of the peace of God. Amen? If I serve Baal, Obadiah thought, I can continue in my sin. I happen to like my sin. I happen to enjoy my sin. I happen to revel in my sin. On the news we say, oh, the revelers were out and, and it's something we celebrate these days. Uh, Bad is called good. That's true, isn't it? And we wear it like a, a badge. But if I serve God, he's probably thinking, I can only flirt with sin. If you're playing football, I say, what? run down centre field. Don't run up and down the sideline where you can be taken out. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 17, and we see that uh, Elijah presents himself after the drought to King Ahab, and Ahab says, Oh, you troubler of Israel. Oh, isn't that amazing, isn't it? Oh, you troubler. This is the man of God. The wicked king calls the man of God the troubler of Israel. And so we have it in the earth today. The Jewish people are called the troublers of the whole earth. Christians will be next. Don't you, don't you, don't you think about that? Don't you worry about that. When they're through picking on the Jewish people... The Christians will be next, amen? Oh, yes, it will be. Oh, yeah. And that's why it's important to stick up for what you believe to be right and what the Word of God says to be right. And he says, O oh, you troubler of Israel. I'll come now. And he said, uh, and so what happened here, to paraphrase it, the 450 prophets of Baal were brought up to Hakamel, which is Mount Carmel, just outside or inside the Bay of Haifa. I've been up there. Haifa is a city built along the foreshores, and then there's a mountain range called Hakamel or Mount Carmel. And this is where Elijah confronts the 450 prophets of Baal and there was going to be a spiritual showdown which we know to be written in detail here 
And he said to Ahab, and he said to Obadiah, and he said to all the people of that land, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, it's a big word, isn't it? If, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. They were still hedging their each way bet to see which God was going to triumph in this situation. As we now, he said, uh, have a sacrifice and whoever, whichever God calls down fire on the sacrifice, that is the true God. Amen. And we know the end of that showdown that after nearly all day, those wicked priests of Baal, had, uh, they cut themselves and they cried out to Baal and everything like that. And Elijah was just there in the corner sitting on a stone, picking his teeth going, call out to your God. Perhaps he is sleeping. Nothing seems to be happening. And uh, it, I think Elijah had a great day that day because the Lord, he'd been, he was an intense prayer. Elijah knew exactly what God was going to do. And they poured gallons and gallons of water. He said, fill up. He said, let this fire, let this be a real fire. Let it consume the stones. Let it consume the sacrifice. Let it consume all the water. He said, fill the trench. Dig a trench around the sacrifice. Fill it with water. Fill it with water again. Fill it with water again, he said. Oh, just for the heck of it, fill it with water again. He said, because when the fire of the Lord comes down, when I call down fire, it will all be consumed. And it was. And that day... The people needed to make a choice. You and I need to make a choice. We're, not, we're flirting with the things of the earth, flirting with them constantly. People have issues with this and this and this, but they're flirting with sin. I want to say you cannot flirt with sin. You and I cannot afford it. There is nothing that can come our way which we cannot be tempted. Everybody can be tempted. Uh, and, the, and the Proverbs says to flee from the door of an immoral woman. In other words, don't go down that street. In fact, don't go into that suburb. Do a wide berth around it. Amen? That's what we're called to do. Flee from sin. Run the opposite direction. Don't, don't just keep clicking on your device and think, oh, I didn't put that up there. Oh, no, you're exposing yourself. We, we all have a tendency to flirt with sin and say, oh, you know, oh, that just happened. That just happened. No, it doesn't just happen. We can remove ourselves. You have the remote, remember? You have the power. <laughs> you have the remote. You have the power. You can press the forward button or you can turn it off. And so we see that the fire came down on that sacrifice. And, uh, but Elijah said when they were calling out to God, he says, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. They are gods that are not gods. Amen. They are absolute, they're not gods at all. And they will not hear you. Their ears are painted on. They do not have ears. They cannot hear. And their eyes are painted on. And they cannot see. Or oh, they're just, a, they're just a, a wannabe god. Then Elijah said to the people, come near. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That word repaired there means healed. And the Lord wants to heal this land. The altar of the Lord in Charter's Towers is broken down. Let's be real. There is less than about 170 people in this whole region sitting in church this morning. 170 and we've got nearly 12,000 people in the region? Who are we kidding? This is a backslidden land. An absolutely backslidden land. 
We are but a small, small remnant. It is a totally backslidden land. Totally backslidden. And that is the truth. The Bible speaks of the Lord healing the backslidings of our heart. The weeping prophet Jeremiah could see the inevitable judgment coming upon the earth and he knew that they would go into captivity to the Babylonians and how he cried and how he wept and he prayed, return your backsliding children and I will heal your backslidings. That's the promise of God. And I believe the Lord, that is a promise we need to grab hold of and say, Lord, will you heal the backslidings of my heart and will you heal the backslidings of this region? For we are a people who have known your goodness, have known your grace, have known your immense provision, but our blessings now have robbed us of our faith in God and we are truly backslidden in heart. Hosea said the same. He said in chapter 14, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from him. Our turning away from God is called backsliding in scripture. And it is a condition that God says in his word that needs to be healed. There's a lot of healing that needs to occur in the backslidden Christian community. And there is a lot of healing that needs to occur in our totally backslidden community in which we live here in Charters Towers region. We have to know and call it for what it is. We are terribly, terribly backslidden. But there was a prophet's showdown. The town wasn't big enough for two of us. And Jeremiah himself, knowing that he could no longer remain silent when he could see the inevitable judgment that was to come upon the people and that there would be consequences if he spoken up. And we know that Jeremiah the prophet spoke directly to the king and he was put into a well for his troubles. And he nearly drowned in the mud and they just threw down scraps of bread down to him in the bottom of a well. Such was the great prophet Jeremiah. And so there is consequences. Sometimes it's difficult. I brought a message uh, at the midweek meeting. There was a time to keep silent and there was a time to speak with a reference to the book of Esther. And I pray that you download that message because that will bring some wisdom into your heart about what God says about that. But Jeremiah here was confronted like Elijah. He had a word of God. He says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. When the word of the Lord is burning within you, even though you're, you're saying, I, I don't want to say what I want to say, but the Lord has put it, and you have to, he said, shut up in my bones. I had to let it out. The word of the Lord must go forth, and the word of the Lord must be preached. And it is not always easy. What do I do? Remain silent? I cannot. I cannot. It's like a burning fire. But there is a time to remain silent, and there is a time to speak. I'd like to now to go, if you would go then, so after the big showdown, Elijah came through triumphant. The desert firebrand had challenged the false gods of Baal and brought correction to King Ahab, Obadiah, and all the people. And it says in verse 41, chapter 18, go up and eat and drink. He says to Ahab, there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Not a drop had fallen. The sky was as parched and as brazen and bronze as it was before. Nothing had changed. Nothing. 
But a prophetic word went out. And so he prayed in the declared word of the Lord from 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. And so the Lord promised to King to Elijah, and he says, if you present yourself to Ahab and have that showdown, he says, I will send rain. And so Elijah then went to prayer. And it says there he was in a fetal position. He bowed his head between his knees and was rocking there. And he began to pray for the rain. Did he wait for the rain? Or did he, did he say, oh, the Lord, is, the Lord is sovereign and the Lord will send rain? The Lord gave Elijah a prophet that there would be an abundance of rain. That was true, isn't it? The Lord gave Elijah a promise. But did he stand back now and say, the Lord is sovereign and he'll do it in his own time? No, he didn't. Elijah went to prayer to pray in the promise. Think about that for a minute. Elijah went to prayer to pray in the promise. And you and I have been given promises, but we need to pray in the promise. Praying in the promises of God. And so a lot of people use the word, the Lord is sovereign. He'll do it in his own good time. It's a cop-out because they don't have to exercise any faith. But the Lord has called us to be people of faith. And then he, and Elijah had a sermon, a sermon. He was up on that mountain. And he said, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said to his servant, go again. He was looking for that cloud as big as a man's fist on the horizon. And the servant came back and says, I don't see anything. So in the midst of his servant rolling his eyes and murmuring, who knows that there's never any shortage of rolling of the eyes and murmurings. It doesn't ta- you don't have to do much in a church to get a few rolling eyes and murmurings, do you? We're all the same. We all think we know how to do this and how to do that and everything like that. And we're all critics and we're all good at it. And I'm Dutch and I'm probably one of the best. (laughs) But the rolling of the eyes and the murmurings. And he said to his sermon, get out there and have a look and see if there's a cloud. And he went out seven times while Elijah was praying in the promise. Praying in the promises of 1 Kings chapter 18. He says, present yourself to Ahab and I will send the rain. And all Elijah was doing was holding God to his promise. Has God made you a promise? Have you ever held God to his promise? It's not disrespectful to do so. It's not disrespectful. It's knowing the heart of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's true, isn't it? We know that the faith book of the Bible is Hebrews. The faith chapter of the book of Hebrews is chapter 11. And and verse 1, it says, Faith is the substance... In other words, it's something, faith is also called a title deed. When you have a title deed to something, it means it's yours. Elijah had the title deed for that rain and the abundance of rain to come. He had it there. And so Romans 4.17 says, and Paul says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And here we see Elijah believing for rain when there was not a cloud in the sky. But then something amazing happened. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, this is the servant of Elijah. There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, go up, 
Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Oh, that's faith, isn't it? All there was was a cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. And, and Elijah didn't need much to go on because he knew, he knew God. Because he'd been in that place of intercession. He'd been down the dry gully for three, three and a half years. He knew what it was to just to wait and to tarry for God. He knew the heart of God. He knew, he knew, he knew. Do you know the heart of God? Or do you know the heart of God? It's a good thing, isn't it? Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black and clouds and wind. And there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. It says also that the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Ahab, so here we see Elijah overtaking his enemies. When the Lord fulfills his promise, he will overtake the Lord's enemies. And you will too. The things that have plagued you, the things that have beset you, the things that have caused you to stumble, you will overtake your enemies when you wait and pray and see the hand of the Lord go before you. I say there is an abundance. There is the sound of the abundance of rain. It's a good message. It's a good message. Elijah prays in the fetal position, praying in the declared word of God. This book here is a book of promises. You sow those things liberally in your life. The Bible says the seed grows of itself and the sower knows not how. Prayer is seed and it grows of itself. The sower knows not how, says Mark chapter 4. It's a good message. He prays seven times. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. Despite the rolling of the eyes and the murmurings of his servant. He doesn't say that, but I can just imagine his servant doing that. I've already checked, he murmurs. There is never a shortage of that. And then Elijah outruns the chariot of Ahab. As Jules comes to the keys, I've related this story a few times over the years, but it was about 15 years ago or more. I think it was about, uh, let me think, it was about 2006 or seven, And uh, I ran a drought reach from the Townsville Church out to Mount Isa, loaded up three trailers and four-wheel drives. I got thousands and thousands of dollars of food and gifts and football jerseys and footballs and soccer balls and gifts and beautiful things. It was Christmas time about 2007. The whole of Queensland had been in the grip of a drought for many years, for a couple of years. And the ground out here, driving out here, was all like this. There was not, it wasn't Spinifex town, there was no Spinifex. It was just dust. Who recalls that time? Who recalls that time? Yes. And so, worked in with the church out at the Isa. And all the way, no pre-appointments, we just called in on a farm. Opened up the back, the kids had come running, and we gave them some beautiful gifts. And we gave mum, whether she had money or not, we didn't care. We just were led by the Spirit of God. And we brought out a beautiful hamper of food, much like what you see there. All these hampers, three trailer loads were just jammed, and the cars were jammed, just full of stuff. And we called it a drought reach. And we got to Mount Isa and went to the communities there and this and that, and we unloaded and gave all the stuff away. That Sunday, I preached a message at the church there. And I said, I'm going to pray for rain. But I said, I'm not going to pray to the end of the service because I don't want to be flooded in. 
You think, oh, that's arrogant. That's what I prayed. The place was just dust. Everything was dust. And I said, I'm not going to pray to the end of the service because I do not want to be flooded in. At the end of the service, I prayed for rain. Oh, it was a glorious thing. I knew that I knew. The Bible says that in Samuel, he says, the Lord upheld Samuel's word and let not one of his words fall to the ground. Remember that? And I felt the Lord, I could have prayed anything that day. And the Lord would have helped, upheld my word. And when we left Mount Isa, oh, there was raindrops on the windscreen. When you haven't seen rain for a year, oh, you like the look of those raindrops. They just turn into great mud streaks. But how lovely it is to see it. We drove out on Mount Isa and it started to sprinkle. And then it started to rain some more. And I was just praying. And I was just praying, thank you, Lord, for the rain, calling those things that aren't as though they are. And it was like we had a lasso on a cloud as we drove all the way to the East Coast. It was a glorious time. I prayed all the way, and it began to rain the whole way back to the coast. Glorious. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever prayed like that? you think you could pray like that? Do you think God wants to answer your prayer? Yes, he does. Oh, he said, Elijah was a man with a nature just like yours and mine. Elijah was just like you and I. We know he had fears and apprehensions that he had to overcome. And his greatest opposition came after his greatest victories. Oh, but what happened then? We got here. I was praying all the way. And the bloke beside me said, Jeff, he said, pray once and be done with it. He said, that's enough prayer. And I said, no, I said, I'm praying all the way. And I did. Then it must have annoyed him greatly. And I can understand that. Heck, because I'm, I'm such a, my voice is so melodical. <laughs> oh, it was good stuff. By the time we got here to Charters Towers, we called in to see Pastor Tom and Margaret. It was about nine o'clock at night. And they put on, they made us some, some tea and some eats and some drinks. And then we prayed and all that sort of stuff. And then we went on our way and the kangaroos came out by their hundreds on the road. After, a, after that length of drought, the kangaroos came from everywhere. We prayed that not one kangaroo would cross the road. We sat on 120 k's an hour from Charters Towers to Townsville. The rain was torrential. It wasn't sprinkling anymore. The drought was broken. The rain was torrential. And there were hundreds of roos and not one. We prayed that as the roos came up to the road, they would do a U-turn and go back the other way. And that's exactly what we saw. Hundreds of roos ran up to the road, did a U-turn, and not one kangaroo crossed the road. Oh, God, give the Lord some praise here in the house. Surely this is good news for you. Surely this is good news. The drought was broken. I know there would have been other people praying, but I know we did up and we participated in it, and it was believing prayer. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man, of a righteous woman, avails much. Let's stand to our feet this morning. What a good message, eh? I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Can you say that this morning? I hear the sound of the abundance of rain in my life. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to pray over this place right now. I'm going to pray for rain for this region right now. 
Oh, if you want to walk, if you want to drive home in the dry, you better leave now. In the name of Jesus, Father, we hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Faith calling those things that aren't as though they are. We believe, Lord, for an outpouring of your rain, Lord God, over this region of Charters Towers. Let all the cattle properties, Lord God, let all the agricultural people, Lord God, oh, I pray, wash down my driveway, Lord. Wash down my backyard. Wash down, Father God. Oh, Father, wash over this church and this region. Wash over this people, Lord. And Father, we pray, Lord God, today for an abundance of rain in Jesus' name over people's lives who have been up dry gullies. There's some people right now, if you've been in a dry gully and you want to come forth, come forth, be bold just come straight to the front if you want to stay in your seat you're welcome to do so but if you want to get out of a dry gully real quick I just sense there is an anointing of God here in the house today and the Lord wants to flood into your heart flood into your life flood into your health flood into your finances flood into a relationships maybe the spirit of the Lord needs to flood into your marriage or oh, come on by faith Faith calls those things that aren't as though they are. An exercise of your faith will bring the blessing of God. Faith will be the conduit from which the power of God will flow through. Oh, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord God, today for the abundance of rain. I pray, Lord, bless these people as they've come this morning. Bless those, Lord, online. I pray that the, the God of heaven, Father God, would hear your prayer this morning take you from that dry gully and place you in a place where you can flourish. I pray in Jesus' name that the power of heaven, there would be a heavenly intervention in your earthly situation and the Lord, the great deliverer, will bring you into a place of prosperity in Jesus' name. Deliver this people. Let's pray out now for Charters Towers. Deliver this people, Lord God, from the backslidings of our hearts. Deliver this people, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's pray for a mighty or oh, revival flood come into this region. The Lord's promise, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry grounds. Father, Father, on the dry grounds of people's souls, Father, we believe, Lord God, for a revival for this people, Lord. Deliver us, Lord, from our own sin, from our own waywardness, Father God. We believe it and we shall receive it in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a big hand this morning and a victory shout. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
just like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God All my life you have been
running after me. Your goodness, Lord, keeps running after us. You never stop running after us. Your goodness, Lord. Oh, your goodness to us, Lord. Oh, 